Would you join with me in prayer again? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to be family together. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Lord, I pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts up to you even as we open your word up to us. And I pray that you fill us with yourself and with your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I got to start in today's study. I got to start with a trigger warning. Um, today we're going to talk about the most offensive command in Scripture. And it's going to include a word that is patently naughty. It's a naughty word, but there's nothing I can do about it. It's in the Bible. i got to use it. And since we're going through 1 Peter, I can't just skip the next section, can I? So we're going to do this, but I just want you to be mentally and emotionally prepared for a naughty word, okay? You're going to have to show me just a smidgy bit of grace, just a smidgy bit. The best way that I can explain to you how and why people need to think about this is to talk about green paint. So, I want to talk about how in 1775, Carl Wilhelm Scheele created a new pigment called green. Green had existed, obviously, but that color paint had not existed prior to that. Prior to that, green paint, green wallpaper, green dye, a lot of it, especially in Europe, just looked very fake. But Sheila came up with a way to make it look very naturalistic, very vibrant, and very inexpensively, too. So people were throwing it all over everything. See, what he did was he did this really interesting process that made use of the oxidization of copper and of arsenic. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy toxic. Don't get me wrong. It's incredibly poisonous. And he warned people a year before it went into production saying, don't use it. You know, don't use it like on wallpaper or in dyes. Don't. It's really toxic. So people were slapping it on everything. They had it on their wallpaper. They had it in their paint. They dyed their clothes that uh, with Sheila's green. They put it in their desserts to get a very beautiful. Oh, yeah. They put it in their blancmanges. So the blancmanges looks like it's St. Patrick's Day. People are getting sick right and left. I mean, horribly sick. Open sores, bloody gums, dying in droves, coughing up blood, all the stuff I really didn't like about chemo, they chose. They paid good money so that they could do that to themselves. In fact, a lot of pretty young girls were wearing this extremely trendy color when they went to their waltzes, which, by the way, you got to remember, waltzes are from the devil, right? <laughs> Waltzes were horrible. They were shameful. They were the worst thing. The, uh, one guy, the worst conceivable kind of lascivious dancing. <laughs> because you're holding somebody close to you when you should never do that, right? So a waltz is basically the lambada of its day, grinder, uh, grinding of its day. That's what it, it's. It, but pretty young girls wearing trendy colors were dying in droves and getting sick in droves at these waltzes, so much so this is a cartoon from the 1860s talking about the arsenic waltz. They knew why they were getting sick and dying. They knew it. And they kept doing it. And people kept going, actually, you probably shouldn't do that. Wait, you're sweating in your arsenic-laced dress in an arsenic-laced hall where they have powdered paint on the walls and we're breathing it in all the time? 
Yes. I even put it in my hair. My hair is green. People going, don't do it. And they're like, you are not the boss of me. For a century, they were using this, saying, nope, I'm going to do this. I don't care what you think. It's a big mystery. If you really want to like watch history's unsolved mysteries, it's a big mystery. Who exactly murdered Napoleon? Because after all that he'd done, he was in exile in St. Helena, and somebody poisoned him with arsenic. By the way, he was stuck in his rooms. He couldn't leave the rooms, and he had them painted with Sheila's green and wallpapered in Sheila's green. He never left the rooms covered in arsenic paint. Is it possible nobody but Napoleon poisoned Napoleon? That we actually are willing to change the course of history because we're willing to die rather than do other than what we felt like doing? If anybody, if you ever run into anybody that sits and goes, how can something be wrong when it makes people so happy? Tell them about some green paint. Well, I'm going to argue that Sheila's Green is a perfect example of our modern mindset. To us, one of the most offensive words in the English language is submit. I told you it was a trigger warning. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But there's a word in Scripture, and I've got to say it. I know, I know, we're very inured to naughty words. We're very proud of the fact that we're very inured to naughty words. In fact, we're proud of the fact that our, 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 our superhero movies that we market as being for whole families sneak in four-letter words all the time. Look, it was really funny because they had the little girls say the naughty word this time. <laughs> it's funny. We like our bad words, except some. And that I'm going to be offended at. And I know that you're going to be... I'm going to offend somebody here today. There's nothing I can do. So opening up this Bible this morning for me is... is is opening up a minefield and walking through it. I confess. Part of me sits there because I don't want to do it because I know how, how difficult it is when the Bible says submit. Because if I, if I were to tell you that you needed to submit to God, you're sitting in a pew, you might go, oh, yeah. You might not be able to do it on Tuesday, but Sunday morning. If I were to say you need to submit to the government, whether you like them or not, we might get some colorful political discussions. If I were to say you need to submit to your husband, somebody's going to throw tomatoes at me. Somebody always brings tomatoes. <sighs> Just so that you're mentally prepared, I'm going to say all those things today. Just get it out of your system. I'm going to say all those things today because Peter says all those things today. I'm going to try really hard to say what Peter says. If it helps, think of it this way. Um, gluttony is bad, right? It's the abuse of food, selfishly, just shoveling it in until you make yourself sick. Gluttony is bad. Do we agree? So, food is bad. No, food's not bad. Food is the thing being abused, right? Gluttony is bad. Food's not bad. Just because something is abused, that doesn't automatically make it bad. It just means that people aren't using it right. If something is bad, don't do it. If something is good, that's not the problem. It's the abuse of something good that becomes the problem. 
Does that make sense? Okay, I just wanted to get that logic equation out of the way so that later when we talk about people abusing the concept of submission, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, clearly submission is bad. Food's not bad. Gluttony's bad, right? Okay, well, I'm working on it. Work with me. I'll lose who I lose. 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, he says, beloved, literally. Because this is, this is Peter. This isn't some jerk who's out there trying to tell people what to do because he's got a whip and he's cracking it. This is a pastor who loves his flock. And he starts the whole thing by saying, beloved, beloved, I love you guys. So listen to what I'm saying. Please try to remember that as we go through. Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, and by my count, I believe that is the 497th time he's made that point, right? We're 11 verses into the second chapter, and for the, what I say, 497th time, he said, you're not from this place. This is not your home. You're just passing through. You're aliens here. You're sojourners. You're just moving your way through this place. Do you agree with him? If we are sojourning here, then this place is not our home, and the priorities of this place should not be our main priorities. Our priorities should be those of the citizens of heaven, shouldn't they? If, if we're really citizens of heaven, just passing through here, that's where our allegiance should be. Well, if that's the case, then we need to stop and remind ourselves that we put a lot of effort in our lives to embrace and protect the priorities of this place. The piles of stuff we have here, the plans we have here, the pride we have here. I think Brian Berry said it really well one time in in small group. He said, sometimes we work so hard at being right that we totally miss being righteous. We totally, we totally tick all these boxes and cross all these T's and dot all these I's, but we miss the heart behind it. We miss God's heart in the process. I don't want you guys bristling at this. I want you guys to stop and say, well, why would God want us to submit in the first place? It's not that he's cracking your whip. It's that he's looking at us saying, beloved, let me tell you. Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Because this world is trying to pound you into its shape, conform you into its shape, beat you into its shape every day, every moment. Sometimes maliciously, sometimes just by being not the kingdom of God. These are our priorities. If all there is is this, then this is all that matters. That's just That just makes sense to the world. And every day it says, well, this is all there is, so this is what matters. And you're tempted to go, well, sort of, and kind of get into that mindset. And he says, don't do that. You have to actively, consciously, daily, let God and his word transform you more and more into his shape from the inside out. Change your heart more and more so that you look more and more like God instead of more and more like this world. I love the way Paul talks about this in the the book of Romans. Paul says, In my inner being, I delight in God's law. That's what my redeemed spirit wants to do. I want to delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. My own body 
wants to be like this place. Even at my best, when my mind, my spirit, are trying to focus on the Lord and on heaven, my body says, but this is all there is, and so this is all that matters. I don't want to be like that. What a wretched man am I. What, who will rescue me from this body of death? How do you wage war? How do you win a war against yourself? When, when part of you wants to do good and another part of you wants to do fill in the blank. Do you just arm wrestle? You just hope that the good side is stronger because you've seen too many movies that say good is inherently stronger than evil. You've heard me say it before. In every human being there are two wolves fighting for dominance. One will overpower the other. Which one? The one you feed. The one you strengthen. So you say, there's what I want here and there's what I yearn for there. How do I choose? Well, part of it you say, well, try to yearn for God. Didn't he say that last week? Crave God. Yearn for God. Daily get into his word. Get to know God. Feel like this is where your nourishment comes from. Absolutely. But that only works so far because at some point on a given day, you might not want him that much. You might want something else more. Heroin. Sheila's green. Something that makes you happy that's killing you. Destroying your marriage. Destroying your walk with the Lord. Destroying your parenthood. Whatever. Can you always guarantee that even if you feed this part, this will always win in an arm wrestling contest? Can you? Can you? The answer is no. You can work on a lot and you can feel strongly. And even the most strong feeling, ascetic Christian will sometimes go, what did I just do today? It can't be just what you yearn for, but it has to start with that. But you have to use some strategy, some tactics. You have to actually plan. You have to actually stop and go, wait a minute. How do I build a paradigm that says, do this, not this? Paul says, ah, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because through him there is no condemnation anymore for those who put their faith in Christ. For him, there, he's working to change us. So then, Paul says, I myself am in my mind a slave to God's law. That's, that's where my redeemed part goes. But in the sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Even Paul struggles with this. You're going to struggle with this. But there's an interesting word picture there, isn't it? I mean, we have freedom in Christ, yes? Praise God. So Paul says, I know in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. But in my renewed mind, I'm free? No. He says, in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. In my free, renewed mind, I'm a slave to God. Because I know I'm going to be a slave to something. I'm going to submit myself to something, aren't I? I'm going to. The word just means place yourself under something else. Just place yourself under the auspices of something else. Place yourself under the structure of something else. You will place yourself under something in your life. 
My family is the most important thing to me. Everything I do, I do for my family. That I submit myself to. My God is my most important thing. My spouse is my most important thing. My children, my job. I'll do everything to make sure that I have a 401k with a nice nest egg. I will make sure this is what I place myself unto, under my priorities, under my pride, under my Lord. I will submit them. You will not get through this life. You will not get through the rest of the day without submitting. You just don't want to think about it. And too many of us go, yeah, I'll just submit to my gut, whatever I feel like doing, because this is all there is, and so this is all that matters. Peter and Paul both go, no, 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 no. You're going to submit. You're going to be a slave. Please stop and think, what, whom do you want to submit to? Something destructive and toxic like the paint that the inventor said don't use? What's the creator who created you says, I know what is good for you. I know what is best. Please submit to me. I know it's a naughty word. Deal with it. So Peter says, you know what? Yes, you're going to submit to God's law. You're going to submit to this so that you can be freed from sin's law here. So I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from those sinful desires which war against your souls. Don't let yourself be ruled by those things. Those clothes don't fit anymore. Change into new clothes. In fact, I want you to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, remember we talked about the word pagan there. That's not a pejorative. It's just people who aren't Christians. So he says, I want you to live such good lives among the people who aren't Christians that though they accuse you of doing wrong, desperately trying to slander you so that they don't feel convicted by you, they may nonetheless see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. If I can cheat, I know, it's cheating, deal. If I can cheat and just go to the next chapter for one second, then we'll jump back. This is the same argument that he uses in chapter 3, verse 15, when he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, that they don't seem to have. But do this with gentleness and with respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. There's no guarantee that people are going to hear you when you speak truth, right? And even if they hear you, there's no guarantee that they're going to like what they hear. If you're an ambassador for a kingdom they're not part of, they may not like it. But you can, no matter what, live out such godly priorities and such a heavenly heart around the people around you that at least part of them knows that anything that they'd be saying against you has to be slander. They have to be making stuff up because they just don't like what they hear. But there wasn't anything that they could truthfully chide you on and say, ah, they did a bad thing. Peter says, no, no, always do this in such a way that the people around you, even the ones who disagree with you, go, I disagree with them, but, I mean, his life speaks volumes. Therefore, trigger warning, here's the word, I'm sorry, just take a deep breath with me. Let it out, okay. Submit. Chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Submit. Place yourself under every authority. Again, I have to go back to uh, to Paul in Romans, because he also told us to submit to human authorities. Not, not to mindlessly obey, but to submit. Not subservience, 
but submission to respect the office of, of the humans that God has given the God-given duty to bring order to a, a messed up and broken world. Okay, think about it this way. Ideally, ideally, authority comes from God, right? And should ultimately point back to God, shouldn't it? It's the way he set it up, and that's the way it should point back in an ideal world. Okay. Thus, we are called to submit to human authority, ideally, since by doing that, we're ultimately submitting to God's authority. If everything worked the way it should, that's the way it should work. Yes? Yeah, okay. That's just a math equation. I just wanted to get that part out of the way. All right, if we don't like the laws that we're under, we can always work to change them, right? Can't you? Isn't that what a, what a free society is all about? I don't think these laws are good, therefore I'm going to work to change those laws so that I can submit to laws. That's the beauty of living in a free society. Not that you ever are told, oh, do whatever you want. That's not a free, that's anarchy. That's not a free society. Free society is, hey, this law doesn't work. Let's change it. It's a simple thing, but the ideal is to get to the point where we are still submitting to the law in order to submit to God. What we can't do is just break the law. As Christians, we can't just ignore it. Yeah, I know the speed limit is 55 miles an hour, but I wasn't planning to be out that long, officer. doesn't work like that. You can't just ignore it. Because if you do, and if, in fact, if, in fact, the whole point of following the law is to ultimately follow God, and you choose you don't like that law, you are not following God, right? You are not respecting the structure that you put together. So you can't just ignore it by breaking it. Now, what happens if the authorities themselves are breaking God's law? If they are not submitting, and if following their law means that you would no longer submit to God's law? I'm not just saying their priorities are off, and I don't like, I don't like paying for that. I'm like, no, no, no. If following them would cause you to sin against God, what should you do, biblically? Well, what did Daniel do? Yeah, follow God. In fact, break the law to obey God's law. If the law itself is causing you to sin, then you can break the law. That's the way it should be. But that's the difference between submission and subservience. And it's a crucial one. Submission respects the authority, respects the structure. It says the whole point of the structure is ultimately to honor God, not just be a good little law follower. You're a good little drone. No. Submission says there's a proper thing that God has set up and I want to honor God in it. Subservience demands mindless obedience to the state. I don't care whether the state is the president of the United States or the king of Rome or to your husband or to your dad. or Mindless, immediate subservience. Do it. You know, that's not what we're being called to. And the difference of intentionality is crucial. It's everything. Okay, just to clarify, that doesn't mean that if you go, ha ha, yes, I am civil disobedience, I am not following that evil law, that doesn't mean that you can break all of it necessarily. You can still follow, you can civilly disobey one law while following the rest. If you say, I'm sorry, you're telling me that I cannot pray to my God, but I am still going to pray to my God, and may the king live forever. Remember that from Daniel? I am going to break your law 
because your law would require me to disrespect my God. But I will respect the rest of the structure. Even as I break this law, I will still say, may you, O king, live forever. I still respect you. Submission does not require abject, mindless obedience. It requires humility. Does that make sense? Okay, I want you to remember this, not just as we're talking about civil authorities, but for all of the submission that we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes. Let's get back to 1 Peter itself. So I want you to submit to the Lord's sake, to, I'm sorry, to which authorities? Which ones? All of them. All of them. You cannot just sit there and go, well, this one, but I'm not that one. All of them. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, not for their sake, not for your sake, for God's sake. To every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Would that include like the president? Which president? Oh, okay. Again, just wanted to make sure I, I got that logic equation in there. All of them. Do you have to smile and, and, and support every decision that every president makes? No. This is not subservience. This is submission. Submit to, respect the office. Sit there and say, this is the person that's there. He's there for a reason. She's there for a reason. I'm going to respect that. If at any point the law requires that I abandon my submission to God, then I will not submit to that president. If the president is doing stuff... I don't like that. Show me in scripture where that's okay to go. Then I will disrespect. I'm saying we need to stop and say, submit to the king. Remember, he's writing this while under persecution in the first century, right? We don't know whether he's writing it while under Domitian or under Nero. Nero, who, who thought it was funny, not just appropriate, but he giggled when he crucified Christians and lit their living bodies afire at night to light the Appian Way in Rome. He giggled. And Peter says, submit to every authority, including the king. So I think if Peter could say that about Nero, I think you could support a Democratic president or a Republican president. I think you could even say, he's a bonehead, and I disagree with him. I'm going to vote against him next time. I'm going to vote that my congressman passes laws that he would disagree with. But I will not fling invective against that president. I will not show disrespect for the office, even if that president is being a doofus. Not because he deserves it, because he's better than me, or even that he'd be a better president than me. Why am I submitting to anybody? to show respect for God. For it's God's will. I love this. He says, for it's God's will. It's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Which brings us back to that same argument we were just talking about. Live in such a way that even if people sit there and go, I don't like Christians. You do this. And you go, no, I don't. You do this. No. You believe this. No. You believe this. Yes, we do. Which means this. No. Let me clarify. But you hate... Actually, I've tried very hard not to. 
you hate that guy. I disagree with that guy. There's a difference. And the reason I'm even telling you that much is because I think it matters enough to say. He wants to stick his finger in a light socket because he thinks it's fun. I disagree. And because I care about his welfare, I'll say, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you shouldn't stick a fork in your eye. Maybe you shouldn't take heroin. Maybe you shouldn't paint Sheila's green on your walls, and you sure shouldn't put it in your blancmanges and stick it in your face. I say this even though you go, why do you hate me? I just wanted a green room. I say this because I want you to survive your room. Paint it blue for crying out loud, people. But we say, no, because you said it. Because you told me I can't paint it green, I will paint it green. The one thing I will not do is submit. But we want to be such a good witness that by submitting not to our priorities, to our pride, but submitting to, to God's sovereignty, not being a doormat, but showing some respect, we might be such a good witness of what it means to live out the priorities and the obedience to God that our actions, our priorities, are a better evangelism than our words could ever be. The people look at us and go, but you don't even like this president. No, I don't. You don't agree with anything she says. No, I don't. Then why are you telling me not to rip her apart on Facebook? Because I want to be transformed by the word of God, not conformed by insta-faced wit. What kind of a witness is that? Somebody says, you'll defend somebody you disrespect because you respect what God is doing even if you don't respect what they're doing. We have freedom in Christ and we have the freedom to worship the King of Kings. And in that worship, I have the freedom to say, I will, I will support this doofus because it still honors God to do so. Isn't that what Peter says? Live as free men, he says in verse 16. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Live free as servants. And all the Americans go, what? <laughs> but I can't be free if I can't do everything I want to do. You don't love me if there's any part of me that you disagree with. I must be utterly confirmed and affirmed in everything that I do and have complete self-agency or else I am not free and I am not loved. And Peter says, that's a recipe for Sheila's green, guys. That's a recipe. If you go, it's me, it's all me. I want what I want and if I don't get it, then this place is all there is and this place is all that matters. It can't be like that. It can't be like that. You're not bound to this king or to that one, to this political party or to that one. You're a citizen of heaven just slumming it here. So any deference, any deference that you give to any flag, to any president, to any party, to anything, must first and foremost be because you're trying to show deference to God. And everything else is secondary, at least. So show proper respect to everyone. I'm sorry, to whom? Everyone. Whom? Everyone. Everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor Nero. The king. He doesn't say Nero. But I think that sums it up. You don't have to love Nero. You don't have to fear Nero. But you do have to honor him because you love, fear, and honor God. 
Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. Okay, and all those who grudgingly went, I really hate the whole government thing, but I see your point, fine. Just go, what? Clearly the Bible is out of date. Okay, all right. I, I, could, I could give you a little mini history lesson and say that this predates racial slavery by centuries. That whole race-based slavery that the Portuguese instituted in the Renaissance in, in Africa, that that we normally think of as slavery, this predates that by centuries. I can tell you that in the first century, especially in, in the Roman Empire, slaves held property, had rights. There were laws protecting slaves. Slaves were a lot more like indentured servants at the time. I could go into all that, and maybe I should, simply so that I don't lose you guys and think that Paul's going, slavery's great. But I'm concerned about doing that because I'm afraid I'm, or Paul, Peter, I'm sorry. I'm afraid I might blunt Peter's point because I don't want to make it more palatable to you. I don't want to explain it so you go, oh, well, that makes sense, and then that means I can do it. If it didn't make sense to me, then I'm no longer listening. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that, do I? So I don't care if it makes sense to us or not, but I'm happy that I can make it make a little bit more sense to us to say what he's talking about here is more like employer-employee relationships today than it is like what we commonly think of as like 19th century slavery. But Peter says, I want you, first and foremost, not just to do what makes sense. I want you to do what requires humility. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. Peter commands us because they deserve it, because they're better than you, because they're better bosses than you would be. Is that why you submit to anyone? No. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. In fact, that word is interesting in Greek because it could probably be better translated as twisted. To your messed up, twisted bosses. I want you to show deference to those people. Does this sound like somebody who's worth your submission? No, but you're supposed to be submitting to them because... They're worthy of it? No. For it's commendable, he says, if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. Are you submitting to this twisted doofus? Yeah. Are you doing it because you're trying to honor God? Yes. Praise God. What a wonderful... What, think about the witness that is to, to an employer that mistreats her employees that you say, and I still respect you. By the way, it's a free country. You don't have to stay there. You can leave. You can go get another job. You can tell the boss, please stop doing that. You can change things. You're not bound to it. But to sit there and say, you know what? No, I will show respect to you even in this. Even if your suffering is patently unfair, you can still trust that God is sovereign. Christ's suffering was patently unfair, wasn't it? But he still demonstrated God's sovereignty, his goodness. He still said... Father, forgive these guys who are torturing me to death, yes? I, I want to show respect. Peter's not calling us to be doormats. He's not calling you not to call for change. But you can't abandon respect for the person just because the person doesn't deserve it. Because you're not showing them respect simply because you think it makes sense to respect them. Even the Archangel Michael didn't fling invective against Satan in Jude, right? 
Even if you don't know what that story's about, we know that much. Even the Archangel Michael went, I ain't, I ain't disrespecting my opponent here. Are you going to badmouth your boss just because he's a jerk? Well, then you become a jerk. I mean, do the math. It's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and endure it, it's commendable. It's, it's a math equation. If you suffer for doing good, you're a martyr. If you suffer for being a jerk, you're a jerk. Right? Oh, I got, I got a ticket. What were you doing? Illegal stuff. Yeah. Don't submit because of who your boss is or isn't. Submit because of who your Lord is. Kind of a witness is that, especially to the one that mistreats. To this you were called, Peter tells us. It's a calling. It's a vocation. It's not a self-help idea. It's not something to do to show you listen to Kevin in the sermon. We were called to live this out. We were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Do that. He committed no sin. I love how he quotes Isaiah going, oh, this is just, it's not even a prophecy. I'm just going, no, this just described Jesus. Just fuck just quoting this as if it's talking about Jesus straight up. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one, to him who judges justly. Didn't fight for his rights or any of the worldly priorities. None of that got in the way of the fact that he knew he was called by God to fight to save the people who were ignorantly shooting at him. It's a battlefield, and I'm not here to save my stuff. I'm not here to save my priorities. I'm not here to save my plans. I'm here to save those idiots that are shooting at me. Those are the people I'm here to save. To this you were called. For you were like sheep. He says, he himself bore our sins on his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed submission to a doofus in order to save the doofus that's what jesus did and gave you that example to follow booyah amen you were like sheep gone astray but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls you were you were just like all the other sheep but now you're you're sheep in his flock booyah amen Now, wives, and all those of you who oh, grudgingly accept I need to submit to a government. And fine, I get your whole boss's analogy. Now, wives, and people are like, tomatoes. So tomatoes. Wives, Peter says, please understand, I'm reading Peter. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Why is it that if we say, yes, I'm willing to submit to a president, even one I don't like, willing to submit to a boss, because I guess I have to, why is it that we go, but not to my husband? No. Why is it that we have such a problem submitting to the one person that we're supposed to be partners with? Or is that the problem? Because we're partners. That means we're co-equal. That means submission means I'm not. It means I'm lesser. It means I'm worse. It means I'm weaker. It means I have to follow whatever he says. And I have to be subservient. Have I said any of those things? cringe because it's very intimate and it's 
leaving you very vulnerable, and it has been so abused. And if people have been gluttons, we should throw out all food, yes? If people have abused this, we should ignore these verses and throw them out, yes? I know Paul gives us arguments about why we should submit to different people under different circumstances. Why should we submit to anyone? Because they deserve it? Because they're better than us? Because they're a better spouse than we are? I know Paul gives us some good arguments, but I don't want to do that. Because again, I don't want to make it make sense. I want to just listen to what he's saying. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. So that... If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. <gasps> Which is exactly the same argument he just used a minute ago, isn't it? Live such good lives among those who don't believe that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and they glorify God on the day he visits us. So therefore, submit yourselves to the Lord for the Lord's sake. Wives, submit yourselves for the same reason. You're going to have a husband... Or husband's friends that don't know the Lord, how can your actions be a witness to them? How can your priorities be a witness? He isn't saying, hey, obey your husbands because the husband's in charge of the wife, so you better act like it, girl. Is he? In fact, does he say anything here about the husband being in charge of the wife? This has nothing to do with essential hierarchies here. This has everything to do with saying, wait, submit, because he's a mission field. And even if he isn't, there might be people around who is a mission field. And your willingness, for the Lord's sake, to be fulfilling your calling to submit even to a doofus to help save him is a more powerful embassy for God than mere words could ever be. It's the same argument. I love that. He says, no, I, I'm not going to explain everything to you and say why it makes sense, but I, I'm going to say the idea is that they could be won over by the behavior of their wives. With, even without words, when they see the purity, the reverence of your lives. What kind of purity? Reverence? I love that he even gives us a head. He's like, oh, like this. Let me give you a for instance. For instance, your beauty shouldn't come from outward adornment, like braided air, or wearing of gold jewelry, fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit. That's of great worth in God's sight. Maybe your husband is a twerp, but that doesn't mean that maybe you should be a twerp in response. No, no, no. But is Peter saying you shouldn't wear jewelry, you shouldn't wear makeup? Is he specifically saying, no, it would be evil? No, he's not saying that. He's just saying, yes, that's not where your beauty should come from. Your beauty shouldn't just be skin deep, jewelry deep, makeup deep. Don't do that. I don't care whether you're talking about women, men, or... It's just, don't go outside in, go inside out. You should be a, an attractive human being. You should be a healthy human being, not just because you look like it. Oh, I've got jaundice, but I've got really good foundation then you're not healthy. <laughs> I don't care. Wear what you want as icing on the cake, but your beauty needs to come from inside. That's where it needs to come. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands. You go, <gasps> subservient. No, 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 no. Like Sarah who obeyed Eric and called, uh, Abraham and called him master, right? saying that every woman should call her husband master he's not even saying sarah should have done it so please husbands don't say that's what you need to do that would be ill-considered 
But he's saying that's how far she took it. That's how humble she was. I wish Sarah in the Bible actually did a better job of what Peter's giving her credit for. (laughs) If you actually read the story. But you are her daughter, as Peter says, if you do what's right and if you don't give way to fear. Somehow Peter seems to think, because he's nuts, that our biggest problem with submission is that it's scary. You don't know what he's going to do with that level of trust from you. What if he's not worthy? Well, is that why you're submitting? Because he's worthy? He deserves it? But then if he doesn't deserve it, why are you? What does that look like? Does that mean I have to do everything he says? What if he's abusive? Do I have to just put up with it? What is that? How badly has this been abused over the centuries? How badly? So Peter continues, husbands, all the wives go, ooh, tomato. Um, Because if you were to stop in verse 6, you're a bad preacher. He doesn't say wives submit to husbands. He says wives submit to husbands. Now husbands, husbands, it's only fair. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and I have to stop there because that's been abused and mangled too. Is he saying, because wives, women are just so fragile? No. He's not saying they are weaker partners. He's saying do it as if they're weaker partners. Do it as if they're the fine china. Love them as if they are the most precious thing that you have in your life. Not because they are so much more fragile than you, so put them up on a shelf. No. He's like, you, you're Tupperware. They are the fine china. Treat them like the crystal glass. Treat them like the, like the, the Ming vase. Vase. You can't say Ming vase. Ming vase. They're this precious thing. I would never do anything to even crack this because she's the most valuable part of my life. And she matters that much. She matters so much more than I matter. How did Paul say it in Ephesians? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How much love is that? How sincere is that? How complete is that? How trustworthy a love? God just, God just told your wife to place herself under you, whether you deserve it or not. Gentlemen, you had better darn well deserve it. I do not. And I know full well I don't. And I know that my wife has loved me even when I have done a horrible job of this. But praise be to God, I am not only shackled to this body of death. Praise be to God, there is no more condemnation, but there is still direction, there's still exhortation. And God looks at me and says, Kevin, I love you, you doofus, stop doing this badly. Thank you for being more gracious than I am. But husbands, in the same way, Peter says, be considerate as you live with your wives, consider them, care about them, treat them with respect. 
ironically, I don't even think he used the word respect about wives with their husbands. He said, submit. Husband, treat them with respect like the fine china in your life and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. He emphasizes that. They're co-heirs, just as worthy of the gift as you. There's no hierarchy of gender merit, a position within the kingdom of God. Love her, cherish her, lay down your life for her. That is to say, submit your very life to her like Christ did, so that nothing hinders your prayers, which is an interesting little throwaway line, isn't it? Apparently this is important enough and big enough that if you do this badly, that might even hinder your prayers. I might not even be able to hear you over the sound of your selfishness. Can I intensely say, wives, submit, husbands, submit. Paul puts this all into the category of everybody submitting to everybody. Do it in different, unique ways, but everybody submitting to everybody. Everybody saying, this place is not all that there is. And so this place is not all that matters. And my priority will be in trying to honor the God that all of this is supposed to be pointing to, was intended to be pointing to, and we screw up on a daily basis. Am I making the case strongly enough here? Therefore, he says, finally, all of you, all of you, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Because that's been the whole point this whole time. Not putting people in their place in the pecking order, but to say all of us living in mutual submission, not based on their merit, but based on our humility to God's merit. Get past get past this place. Get past the priorities of this place. Get past the, the green that you think is really pretty and really cheap and I really want it and I don't care who says that. Stop. That's not what you were created to do. Stop toxicifying your life. Stop doing that. I don't care whether it's because you demand subservience or you resist submission, but stop disregarding what God is saying, what he's trying to say, because in both ways, we're being stiff-necked and abusive. God help if you're ever abusive and wrap it in scripture. Let the arsenic green go. Take that off, put on Christ's mindset. As Paul said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, clung to, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Booyah. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that... You are so much better at this than we are. And your heart is so much righter than ours. I thank you for your wisdom. And I pray, Lord, help us to live it out. Never an abject subservience to one another. That's, that doesn't honor you. You gave us free will for reasons. Help us to honor that. But I pray, Lord, help us to never use our free will as an opportunity to do whatever we feel. Help us, Lord, to love one another well. Help us to lay ourselves at one another's feet. Help us to honor one another, to respect one another, to be there for one another. Because we love you. So it's an act of worship. We give this to you in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.